0: My name is uh, Jeff, and I'm one of the young adult leaders in this church, and it's an amazing privilege to, to do this. You know, I, to be honest, I remember God calling me to ministry a long time ago when I was younger. I've always sensed it in my life, but I was so resistant to it. You know, I was like, no, you know, I think anybody that desires to be in ministry is crazy, but it was actually very recently that I feel like it's such a privilege You know, it's such a privilege because I really look at it. My job is simple. It's to help people understand and love God. That's it. It's not building a big building. It's not, you know, running programs. It's not all of this stuff that pastors get caught up with. It's simply just helping you guys know God and love him. Because sometimes there's some confusion. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. If I were to title my message tonight... It's Hope Beyond Disappointment. I shamelessly ripped this off from a book. It's on Amazon called Hope Beyond Disappointment. I forget the author's name, but I ordered it. I'm going to read it. I think his last name is Hess, H-E-S-S. But this is something that, um, is something that I've been going through myself. Every message I do is always personal. I always like, it's like I preach to myself because I'm in the same boat you guys are in. But it's this idea of having a hope that is beyond disappointment. Who's had disappointments in life? If you live long enough in life, young people, you will have disappointments. But how do we deal with those? What do we, what do, we do with that? You know, when, when we have those unmet expectations or unfulfilled dreams or God or plans didn't seem like they, they worked out the way that we thought they should. We all have that. And sometimes what happens to a lot of us, we get stuck. We get stuck in that disappointment. We get stuck in that bitterness. And, and it just seems like years and years go by, and we, and we might have moved on. You know, we might have kind of moved on physically, but we haven't dealt with those uncared for hurts. And so we're going to talk a bit about that tonight. We're actually in a new uh, book of the Bible, Habakkuk. It's in... Habakkuk or Habakkuk. I think it sounds better because it makes him sound like a cook, you know. But um, the Bible depicts hope as an anchor for our soul. In the ancient times, if you look at pictures, the, the boats would use anchors not only in harbors, but in storms as weights. It was like these big stones that they would use with, with a hole in the top. And they would actually use these stones in order to keep the vessel upright and balanced in dangerous seas. It's probably because you know they they hadn't invented the keel. You know, if you if anybody's a nautical person or sailor, they have a a keel on a sailboat that is loaded with very heavy weight, so that if it capsizes, it'll it will rewrite itself. And so that's kind of how it was used when we think of the word uh, an anchor for our for our soul. Hope keeps us stable. It keeps us upright, even in dangerous or uh, yeah dangerous conditions. Even the Apostle Paul, if you go to the New Testament, he listed hope as one of the top three qualities. He says this in the Corinthians. He says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So we know the greatest thing is love, but he also includes hope. Hope is something that should characterize all believers. It's something that we should have, and I'll talk about that. But how do we have A hope beyond disappointment. Many of us have disappointments, hurts, regret, unmet expectation, unfulfilled dreams. It's something that we all have and it's something that we have to face. And in a lot of times, these things are debilitating in our life, like I was saying earlier, and it keeps us in a cycle of despair. I wish I could say I was immune to these things myself, but I'm not. I'm just like everybody else. In fact, in my life today, I've been, finding out, I've been finding that God has been bringing up a lot of disappointment and regret, even in my own life. He likes to do that because he wants to bring healing. And for those with us with uh, the Holy Spirit, which all of us do, you know, the Holy Spirit will often have us revisit the past areas of hurt, of disappointments, of regret, of regret in order to bring true healing and allow us to walk in greater feeling. That's something the Holy Spirit does. Sometimes, If we don't realize that, we're going to try to you know, push those things down or we'll turn to the bottle or turn to something else, turn to anything to numb that, to ignore that. But the Holy Spirit brings that up in our life for a purpose. And if you don't believe me, if you think, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that, I dare you to pray this prayer. Just pray. Lord, if there's anything in my life you want to change, then take your best shot. Do it. I'll say that again. And you can pray this if you're brave. See, Lord, if there's anything in my life you want to change, then take your best shot. I was reading this book where that guy, he wrote that prayer, and he was actually a pastor of a church, and he was in his car, and he, you know he, they were, he was waiting for his wife, right? Any guys, you're always waiting for your wife... Don't raise your hand because you'll probably die. But um, he's waiting for his wife, and he has to—you know—he has to be there at a certain time. And he's looking at the clock, and, he, and the time is just—it's—it's it's way past the time. He's going to be completely late, and he's like frustrated. And he's like, "Man, I got to preach to everybody and tell them that God loves them." But inwardly, he's frustrated. And in the car, he prays that prayer, like, "Lord, if there's anything in my life you want to change, and take your best shot." And so he finally gets to the point, okay, like, well, I don't know where my wife is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of my car, and wherever she's in the house, I'm going to drag her down here. And so he gets all this car, he's fuming, and he's running to the door, and he looks, and he had put his car in reverse unknowingly, and his car was going backwards. Well, he runs to the car, he gets in the car, but it was too late. The door was wide open, and it hit a basketball post, and it bends the door backwards, at that very moment, his wife comes out and gives him this horrified look of what just happened. But God told him, he's like, you know, you, you said this prayer, and I want to show you that you're impatient, and I want to teach you patience. So good luck if you pray that prayer. God will show you. He's faithful to show us. But I want to reiterate that disappointment hurts regret, unmet expectation, unfulfilled dreams. They can leave us stuck and sinking in a bog, of hopelessness and despair. They leave us in this place where you do not want to stay in. In fact, this last week I had a, a privilege of having a, a short vacation. I went to Chico. I went to Redding. It was really hot. If you guys want to know what hellfire feels like, it's up there. It's like 100, it was 100 degrees in Redding. It was 90 something in Chico. It was so hot, but it was probably nice because I, I had air conditioning and Didn't do anything, but I was visiting my brother and his wife. And last year, there was a record-breaking fire that destroyed the entire town of Paradise. And my brother, he took me, took me through the town. He was, he lived in the town with his family. And as we're driving through the town, I think I have a picture. It looked like a bomb had been dropped. It was like a scene out of a post-apocalyptic movie that you see, like. I believe 15,000 homes were burned down. That's a lot of homes. And on top of that, there was supermarkets, restaurants, banks. Everything was leveled. There was only a few surviving things that survived. Ironically, a lot of churches survived. Uh, the hardware store survived so they can rebuild, I guess. Kind of kind of ironic. But seemingly overnight, what was once a quiet town in the mountainside was transformed into a ghost town. It's literally a ghost town. Nobody, nobody's there. And for my brother and his wife, they've been going through this grieving process, wrestling with, their, with grief and with faith. They're, they're believers, but they're wrestling with this. It was traumatic to them, you know, to be told that there was a fire coming and you had to just pack what you had and you didn't have time. You know, I mean, they didn't have time to even grab their ducks or some of their animals. They had to let their horse out and just run out and they had, like, no time for jewelry, any of that. They 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 literally just escaped with their lives. And it's amazing none of them perished because uh, some people didn't make it. You know, there's people in cars that you could see the, the charred bodies. And so, for you know, thank God that they, they made it out. But for them, as I was talking with them about going through this grieving process, it's like they're saying in their mind, it's like they could just go back, right? They could just go back and they would just see their house there and the town would be all right, you know, but in reality, it's never going to be the same, right? It's kind of like us, you know, when we, have, when we have tragedy happen to us or maybe friends or family that you know, we often, we ask this question, where is God? How could something like this happen? You know, for my brother and his family, you could easily blame the utility company. You know, they had been neglecting their power lines. They had, like, power lines that were over 100 years old. They completely neglected, and, you know, they did take the blame. You could, you could blame the government, right? There was people blaming uh, Trump for those Santa Monica fires or fires burned down. I've seen people, they, they blame the drought, you know, or blame climate change. You can blame the firefighters for you know, protecting somebody else's home and not protecting your home, or blame the, the water district, right, for having inadequate supply of water. But blame will never save us from sinking further into hopelessness. It will never help us get out of that. Many times we're, we're left not knowing why, and we tell ourselves, if we could just understand and, and know why, that, why it is that something happened, that it would bring peace to our souls, but... Most often, it doesn't. But what we can do is strengthen our hope, which is an anchor for our soul through tough times. Our faith rests on the hope of God's faithfulness to keep his promises. Biblical hope is a lot different than um, hope you would see in our culture or hope you see in the world. You know, you might have someone that likes to do scratchers or or play the lottery, and they might say, oh, I, I hope... I win the lottery. Well, that may or may not happen. I think odds are you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning than winning the lottery. It's not good odds. But biblical hope is the opposite. It is confident expectation that something will happen. It's an expectation. It's a lot stronger than that. It's not a maybe. It's an expectation. See, even though my my brother's family, they experienced loss of their home, and personal belonging, because they can have a confident expectation that God will supply all their needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It's in Philippians 4.19. They can have a, a confident expectation that what man or Satan has devised for evil, that God can fashion it for our good, even a fire. In fact, for my brother's family, one blessing that they got out of this tragedy is they're now debt-free. They're in some debt, and now they have no debt, in fact, they get their mortgage paid or they they're in a rental and they're getting their mortgage paid for like 3 years, which is amazing. It's crazy. And so, sometimes when tragedy happens, it's a matter of changing our perspective. You know, now that they have gone through this, I can almost see, I probably would never tell him, but I just see how close he is to his wife, you know? It's like you you realize what's important in life. You know, those things, those possessions, they might burn, but you know, having your loved ones, having your family, that's the most precious thing of all. And so tragedy does do something in our life, and God can fashion it for good, you know, if we wait long enough to see. But I want us to, to go to the passage tonight. You're thinking, man, this is such a long intro, but this book can be very depressing. You know, Old Testament, I can't read all the way through because it's so depressing. It really is. You know, you read the Old Testament, you're just like, when is Christ going to come? You know, when is he going to come? We need a redeemer. We need a savior because everything's a mess. And that's exactly what's happening in Habakkuk. He's a prophet in Judah, to give you some background, around the seventh century BC. And he was deeply troubled by violence and justice happening, not from their enemies, but from God's own people. This is God's own people. And he makes this complaint to the Lord. You'll see he'll make many complaints. Why are you silent? While the wicked destroy those who are more righteous than they are. The Lord's answer, however, shocks Habakkuk. God's response is that though the answer might seem slow in coming, it will surely take place. He, will, he reveals his plans to the prophet that he's raising up Babylon. If you guys remember Daniel, that great statue, that Nebuchadnezzar, the dream, that's you know, Daniel lying saying that's, that's when he was in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. He was also under Cyrus of Persia, but that's another story. But he reveals this to the prophet that he's raising up Babylon, right? Pretty much a, they weren't a godly nation. They were were cruel, they were violent, and he was raising them up in order to punish Judah for their sins. And despite this shocking revelation, God promises that those who are righteous will be saved because of their faith. Those who are righteous will be saved for their faith. And one thing that I have to tell you guys is that we have to look at the Old Testament through the redemption of Christ, right? The Old Testament was under the Old Covenant. So pretty much you had the law, the Levitical law. And if you did good, then you got God's blessings. If you did wrong, you got cursed. You would get cursed. And that would what is happening here is that because the Judah and the nation of Israel have walked away from God and have started practicing wickedness. And in, in some places in the Bible, it says that they were even worse than their, their nations around them, that they would have to pay for their sins because Christ wasn't in the picture. In fact, some of the stuff that they did was they would have these statues like Molech and they would place babies on a burning altar and they would be doing all kinds of, they would sacrifice their kids, they're doing wicked, wicked stuff. And because we have a good God and because justice is the foundation of his throne, he has to put a stop. He has to put a stop to evil. But this is, let's get into the text tonight. I'll read this real quick. It's Habakkuk's complaint. It says, this is a message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. And you can almost see that as like a prophetic picture of our world today, right? It's like, all these things, violence and destruction, and it seems the wicked are numbering the righteous. And that justice, that, you know, some of these court cases that are coming out are so shocking, right? Like, that's, like, happening. It's just unbelievable of all these indictments and things that are happening in the court system. And how some of these people have got away with it for so long, and you're like, man, and it's just because they're famous or they're wealthy or whatever, you know, they have... They have an ace up their sleeve, but it's something that uh, God loves. You know, he wants us to seek justice. But let's break down this entire section. I want to not go verse by verse, but I want to look at some of the questions that Habakkuk raises. In verse 2, we see, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? He had been praying and petitioning for a while. He'd been praying to God. He'd been seeing everything that's been happening, the violence, the injustice, and he's been calling for God to help but seemingly without an answer. That might be some of you guys tonight. Maybe you're praying for something and you haven't seen an answer yet. Well, keep praying. Pray until something happens. That's a PUSH acronym, P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. Also, we see in verse 3, he says, Must I forever see these evil deeds? Like Lot, he had to endure seeing evil flourish. You know, as a, as a holy man, as a righteous man of God, he had to see this happening not in the nations or somewhere, but at home. The, the very place, the people that God had made his covenant with, he's having to see them do evil and actually seeing evil flourish and seeing the righteous being put to death. Verse 3, he asked the question, why must I watch all this misery? He also, not, he also had to endure seeing suffering, which is never easy to have to watch the innocent suffer. What we see from this passage of the author is, he's clearly distraught to see what is taking place among God's covenant people, his own children. They become violent. They loved arguments and fights. They no longer pursued righteousness. In verse four, it describes how the holy law, the Levitical law, had become paralyzed or useless. The word paralyzed, if you look it up, it actually means numb. So the people of God had become numb to his laws. And teaching and no longer desire to walk in the truth. That's scary, right? When people no longer desire to hear the truth. You know, even in our days today, it's like we, we're trying to reinvent truth and almost say that there's no truth, right? There's no truth and there's no absolute truth. And I read a good quote, I forget, I think it's by Alice in Wonderland. He was saying, you know, for, for those who have no direction, any road will take them there, which is kind of scary. So if you have no vision or direction for your life, like any, any road will take you there. If you don't believe in any truth, well, any truth will do for you. So the people of God, they become numb, hard of hearing. The State of the Union seems awfully bad to the prophet and no wonder why he raises up his complaint. No wonder why he, he begins to complain to God. How could God stand by and watch this happen and do nothing? We see in our passage Habakkuk, is. it seems like he's questioning God. I'm not sure if he's accusing God. That would be so strong. But it almost mirrors Job, right? When Job in his helpless condition, he's asking God, why are, you, why are you against a righteous man? And he even says, you do not listen. You do not come to save. This is very difficult. But what I love about this passage and what I love about the Bible is that it's unfiltered. Right, it wasn't written in some ivory tower marble palace somewhere. This was written by people that faced life; they 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 faced real life, and yet with God they overcame. And that brings me such comfort. You know, it's not like it brings me a lot of comfort that this is this is so applicable to real life. And He's just like a lot of us who experiences doubt and questions in our life. But he doesn't pull any punches, and you see this in the text. He doesn't pull any punches because he knows that God is big enough to handle his questions. God is big enough to handle it. And when we have disappointment in our lives and our hurts or unmet expectations, we often bury them, don't we? Don't we try to do life as normal? It seems so easy in our society to numb ourselves now. It seems so easy to not have to deal with our feelings or emotions or traumas in the past because we have so many things to distract ourselves. You know, I watched this TV show called Alone, and they're going out in the wilderness to survive. And one thing that every contestant said was that that was a struggle, was dealing with their own mind. Because there's no YouTube out there. Their only mind was, was, the only thing that they had out there was just their own mind dealing with all the hurts or things in their life, and you had nothing to distract yourself. And for a lot of them, it was almost a, um, like almost a healing experience, right, to, to begin to reconcile kind of those wild animals, those wild emotions jumping around in your mind. Well, sometimes when we don't deal with the feelings of resentment, we, we get resentment towards God. You know, we, we don't, maybe we feel like he can't handle it or we shouldn't do that, because you're like, well, i got to have faith, or blah, blah, blah. But we get resentment, and that's a huge problem. And today, I kind of came up with an acronym to help myself and help others process through pain. You know, I don't think as a young person I was ever taught how to deal with pain. You know, my dad was an alcoholic, so how he dealt with it was just television and Budweiser, right? And when you grow up in that environment, you don't really learn healthy ways of dealing with pain, but I was reading that three out of four people that come to church today have some form of dysfunction. You know, maybe they had a dysfunctional family, maybe it was alcoholism, maybe molestation. Um, all of us have had to deal with loss or someone dying, grieving. Three, three out of four people. I couldn't believe that. So all of us have a degree of pain and we have to learn how to, how to deal with this in a healthy way. But I I call this acronym raw because Habakkuk was raw with his emotions and so here's a kind of a a quick way to deal with this I shouldn't say quick because this can take time but this acronym is very simple R stands for receive because instead of ignoring emotions we need to receive them as important messengers in our inner world for some of you, if you need a vis- visualization, just watch the, the movie uh, Inside Out. It's an amazing movie of kind of how our emotions work. It's a kid's movie, but you'd be so surprised at how that movie's an emotional roller coaster. It's like they depict they emotions as characters in your mind, and they're interacting, and they're fighting for control. Really fascinating, and even how we have core memories, and, and those core memories make up our personality. But, uh, it's like our emotions are important messengers from our inner world. Emotions themselves are neither good nor bad, but telltale signs of what's going, under, going on under the hood. There was this uh, pastor who flew into this conference in, in another country, and he noticed that the, the driver had a, a piece of black tape on the instrument panel of his car. And because the, the pastor was curious, he asked the driver, hey, why do you have a, a piece of tape on, on your instrument panel? And the driver promptly responded. He said, well, the check engine light came on, and I didn't really want to stop, and I didn't really have money to deal with it, so I just put a piece of, piece of tape over it. So I wouldn't see it anymore. Well, isn't that like many people, right? We, we see the check engine light come on, And instead of dealing with it, like, you know, I don't have time for this. I got to work. I got kids or I got things to do. We just put a piece of tape over it and say, you know, I'll deal with it later. But the problem is that instead of stopping and accessing the problem, doing a diagnostic, we ignore it and we have a meltdown later. And sometimes we don't even know what was the cause. We let the small fires grow into larger ones through neglect. A stands for Acceptance, since we should learn to accept the pain of our hurts. Nobody likes pain. Pain is seem, seems like something we should run away from, that we shouldn't have to deal with. But the, the truth is that we have to learn how to embrace these things rather than try to deny painful thoughts or memories. How many know that pain isn't negative? Numbness is. I'll say that again, pain isn't negative, numbness is. If we couldn't feel pain, just imagine if you couldn't feel pain, you would either be dead or you would be a zombie. Like you'd be a walking dead person. And you don't want to do that. I I had that after my dad died when I was 16. I think I was like the walking dead for 10 years. I was in deep depression. I was just so numb to everything, but that was how I survived. And I didn't realize like, yeah, I was getting through life but there was no highs anymore. There was no highs. There was not really any lows, but you're just at this static state. And it was miserable. I would never want to go back and relive that experience. But I realized that I was numbing the pain. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to do I didn't even understand how to deal with it. Like I was saying, you know, my my dad's way of dealing with pain was was TV and and Budweiser is beer of choice. So that left me with very little tools of understanding how to deal with it. But when we finally accept our pain and we see through it through the lens of honesty and truth, allowing God's grace in these broken places, we experience something called wholeness. The Bible offers us a wonderful promise when we choose to accept pain. One of the Beatitudes, says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's a promise. When we mourn, That after that mourning process, we will actually experience comfort. Hopefully, maybe that's nothing new for some people, but that might be a revelation for some. And, like I was saying, if you watch the movie Inside Out, the moral of the story or the wonderful truth that it represents is that um, this character, Joy, who was the predominant emotion, she had to learn to embrace sadness. That this character, was always trying to avoid sadness, and when she actually embraced sadness, it created a beautiful, beautiful thing inside of them. It's actually quite, if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. And in fact, this is why women are typically, and I'll say typically, because it's not true for all people, for all times, but this, for this reason, women are typically better at getting over emotional hurdles than many men because they allow themselves to cry, they allow themselves to mourn. You know, maybe they go to movies and cry. I don't think any, guy, any guys do that. You're like, like, I just feel like going and crying and watching this sad movie. Guys don't do that. We don't allow ourselves to mourn. In fact, our society does not reward men from showing weakness or from uh, crying, right? Even when, maybe it's changed nowadays. Things have gotten confused. But You know, when you're a young boy and and boys cry, you know, the dads will say like, oh, you know, like rub dirt on it, don't cry, blah, blah, blah. So men aren't rewarded by mourning. And this is sad because as men, we have the remarkable ability to spend decades ignoring pain until it becomes a midlife crisis. And then when everything blows up, we have no idea what has happened. I've seen that in people's lives. You know, their marriage is falling apart, it's like everything is, their kids hate them, and you ask them, so why do you think that is? And they're like, I have no idea why. Isn't that crazy, that as men, I'm talking to you guys, and myself, we, can, we have such a remarkable ability of just stuffing that pain and moving on, rubbing dirt on it, whatever grandpa or dad taught us, we have such a remarkable ability of ignoring that and then eventually we forget. We forget we forget those, we, it's like we forget what even happened, but we still are carrying on to that. It's sad. So choose to accept those things. And lastly, W stands for walking through hurt with God and others. Everyone is unique in how they deal with emotional hurt and disappointment. For some, this may be journaling. I really like journaling. For some, it's getting counseling and even healthy people get counseling. Don't wait to get counseling until everything is you know, fall, falling apart in your life. Healthy people get counseling, just like cars. If you have a car, your car will get, you need maintenance. You should get routine maintenance in your car so it keeps running well. Getting prayer, you know, we have prayer teams. We can, you can attend an inner healing seminar. That might bring some revelation to you. Opening up about it in a small group. Now, that's why we do small groups, so you can open up about those pains, those hurts, and receive God's grace. Maybe going through a book study, you know, getting a book like Hope Beyond Disappointment or another book um, for whatever you're dealing with. And lastly, I've done this myself, is writing letters to people who hurt you but not sending them, right? You can be as honest and as brutal or whatever in a letter. You could say any four-letter word, colorful word, in a letter, and it's not going to hurt anybody in fact it helps because once you get all those feelings out all those things out then you can really come to a place of forgiveness right sometimes we want to forgive before dealing with the hurts and pains you know and i don't recommend doing that because it's not necessarily i'm not saying it's not a true forgiveness but there's something happens when we when we allow ourselves to feel the the pain and feel the hurt or the injustice and then we uh, and, we, and we go through that process, and then we, we can actually offer forgiveness from a place of compassion, actually from a place of, of God's compassion, I should say. But the most important thing, if you were to hear anything, and I tell people all the time, is that there's many battles in life that you cannot win on your own. There's many battles you cannot win on your own because the nature of shame, guilt, and some of these things, it really grows when you're on your own. You know, if it's shame or guilt or whatever it is that Satan is using, you know, maybe it's something you did regret. Those things grow when you're on your own, right? When you never open up, you never share about it. It just grows and grows and grows, and Satan can get a foothold in your life through that. But when we have other people in our life, you know they could shed light on that it's amazing what can happen when you have other people that you can tell these things to and also too that if if people are the if people hurt you then god can use people to fix you but when we walk with god his his words bring light and healing to our lives it's actually not the theory of god that heals us you can read so many books and go to school and get all this great knowledge theory about God, but it's not the theory of God that heals you. It's his words, right? When you're vulnerable with him, when you're asking those, those deep questions and it's his words, you know, it might be from the scripture or it might be something inwardly that he says to you or something that someone says that is just such a timely word, but it's, it's his words that can bring healing to us. And so God, allow God to answer these questions of our heart to carry hurt. Sometimes I'll write out a question and I'll just allow and wait, kind of see if he responds or look in the Bible to see if he has something to say. And for me personally, what's something that I like to do or I'm trying to get in the habit of doing is prayer walks, you know? Because for me in the morning, like, I don't know about you guys, but my emotions are crazy in the morning. You could just wake up and it's like you have all these wild animals trying to attack you. And so one thing I like to do is just put my shoes on and start walking and begin to get these things settled in my heart. All right, get all these things settled. I mean, maybe it's different from you, but there's, you know, Satan studies us and he knows when we're weak and he knows like our routines and he comes after us, right, in those, in those, in those moments. And so part of being a Christian is understanding of like, okay, I know I'm weak on whatever day or, or this time at night or morning and for you need to be proactive in that fight. And doing kind of what you don't want to do. For for me, it's like, well, I just want to lay in bed all day or do nothing. But instead, I, I go on a prayer walk because I know that I can, it can tremendously help me. But I even do this today. You know, I've been, if I were just to open up personally, I've been dealing with a past failure for at least seven years. It's been on my mind almost every day. You know, and it, was, it was actually, you know, when I was 25, it was a relationship that didn't end up working, you know, and it's something I really regret because I felt like, you know, I, I wish it would have worked, and to be honest, really, the blame is on me. I'll take full blame. If you want, if you want a, more details, I'll, I'll talk to you after, but it ended in a way where I didn't get any closure or even really understanding kind of what happened or what went wrong, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why I've been dwelling on it. It's just trying to think like what did I do or what happened or how could I have changed things, you know, just you're kind of in that realm of theory, you know, where you get stuck in. And I've been trying to figure it out for years. And as in my prayer walk today, I was just bringing it up before the Lord. And I've brought it up before and he's he's offered me insight. But today I felt like I had some breakthrough because I sensed that he was what he was saying to me. He's like, you know, like I allowed this to happen in your life because I know that you're going to grow from it. You know, I, I, I knew that this, that this was going to happen in your life. I knew that you're, you were going to fail, but I allowed it so that you can actually grow from it. I mean, sometimes God allows us to make choices in our life even when they lead to failure. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you look at the prodigal son God didn't go running. The father didn't go running after the prodigal son to protect him from his choices. He allowed him to make choices to where he ended up in the pig pen. Because it's in the pig pen where the prodigal son had a revelation of God's goodness. See, sometimes when we reap the consequences of our sin, we get a revelation of God's goodness. And we're like, man, like, I was so dumb. Or I made the wrong choice. And it's an opportunity to allow God to lavish us his grace lavish on us, on us his love for us even when we don't deserve it and so he he shared that with me and it allowed me to see in a different perspective because i was seeing it through the perspective of failure right and i feel like that's what the the, the devil does right he loves to um he loves to frame us by our failures let me just tell you this is what he does he, he'll frame you by your failures He'll always bring up failures of your past, things that you've done wrong, and he'll tell you this is who you are. You're a failure, right? You're, you're no good. Look at what you did. This is, how you, this is how you disobeyed God, you know? But God is completely opposite. God sees us by the victories in the future. So Satan frames us by the failures of the past, but God sees us by the victories in the future, and that's because of his blood. That's because of what he did on the cross. It leads us to victory. You and I one day are going to be comp- are completely victorious, victorious with Christ. Even though we struggle now, even though it seems like there's battles, even though things don't, don't seem right, God has a plan and he has completely committed to our glorification in the future. We're all going to be I mean, just imagine, we're all going to be in heaven just looking back on life on earth and just almost thinking nothing of the struggle, almost thinking, looking at it as like, man, this is like nothing compared to the glory which Christ has reserved for us. And so God will use failure. I'm not saying he causes failure in our life, don't get me wrong, but he uses failure as a humbling teacher, right? Even I, I think God uses failure in my life to teach me, right, to negate the pride that we have that men and women deal with. He'll use failure, so instead of getting stuck in a cycle of blame, shame, guilt, God can and wants to use our failure as teaching opportunity in our life. He uses the struggles and valleys in our life to reveal, reveal places that we're believing a lie. And he graciously, graciously helps us, direct us to the truth so that we can live in freedom. And as much as I don't like the process, I hate, I actually, I shouldn't say hate, I don't like the process I'm starting to love the process, but I do love the end result, right? Anybody like the process of, of what God is doing in your life? Probably not. Even Peter is saying, you know, it's not, you know, when God is disciplining us, it's no, nobody enjoys it. But the end result is a hope beyond disappointment. And let me just finish with the, the last part of the thing. I know it's growing late. This is what the, the Lord's reply, he says, look around in the nations, look and be amazed, for I'm doing something in your own day. Something you wouldn't believe in if I told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers, are, are, uh, they charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down and to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like desert winds, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. So Habakkuk receives this terrifying answer from God that he was planning to deal with Judah's sin and it seems so confusing to him you'll have to come next week because like how could God use you know a nation such as Babylon to discipline his children that doesn't seem right but you'll have to come back and and listen to more of that but I want to kind of end with this final truth and it looks if you look at the verse 11 it said that they were deeply guilty for their own strength is their God you know, if we are to endure trials and tribulations, our strength can't be because of, our, because of us. It has to be anchored in God. Our strength will fail, but God is the one who gets us through the tough times. And I'll, I'll close with this quote. I love this quote uh, by Steve Backlund. He says, a hope-filled life is evidence that we're, we are believing truth. Now, I'm going to pray right now for us, but I, we, I, we, don't have, we don't have official time for this. I want to allow those to, to leave if anybody needs to leave, but I kind of planned a ministry time, and this is for those who choose to stay. You don't have to do this, but I, one of the questions I ask is, where are you experiencing deep hurts, disappointment, or regret? And groups pray for one another and seek God's grace and hope over these broken places, so if this is you, it may not be everybody, but if, there's some, if you're here tonight and you're just like, man, this is me. This is like, you're, you know, this is speaking to me. I'm in a lot of hurt or have a lot of disappointment. I need some ministry time. Then maybe just open up to someone at your table and just let them know. But I'm going to close tonight with just a prayer, and that's, that's what you can choose to do. And so I'll pray for us. Father, Lord, I, I thank you, God, for the struggles, Lord. Though we don't like the struggles, we don't like the pain, God, you're producing in us a weight of glory, God. You're producing in us characteristics of a of an overcomer, of a champion, God. And Lord, I pray for those who are experiencing deep hurts, God, that you would give them a revelation, Lord, that you would give them your perspective on it, that you would give them strength to continue that fight, Lord. Because I know the enemy loves to discourage believers. He loves us to make us look at our past or our mistakes, God, but I pray right now that the blood of Jesus would cover them, Lord, that the blood would wash away their guilt, wash away their shame, and they would have the courage to, to open up maybe about some of these things, maybe for the first time open up about some of their mistakes or their failures because we're in an environment of freedom and grace, and we praise this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.